0: What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here. I have Christian Kletzel, who is the founder and CEO of Usergems on today. Used to be a leader in the product group at Google. On top of it, too, was at McKinsey and Microsoft and talks about how the experience of starting off in Y Combinator, pivoting multiple times, almost running out of money for five years and then breaking through to 10X growth over the last two years. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss it. He dives deep also on how this market in early 2023 is affecting how we make decisions and how the buyer is reacting over a large, large sample size. So you're not gonna miss it, check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome everybody to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and i have a very special guest with me today. I have Christian Kletzel, the founder and CEO of Gems, which is an AI-driven prospecting solution to help revenue teams with bigger pipeline and faster sales cycles. He was a former product manager at Google, also used to work at Microsoft and McKinsey. Christian, happy to have you here, man. Welcome, welcome. Hey, Ryan, excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, man. And uh, I appreciate your solution. I've seen it. I think it's it's great uh, and, and a lot of amazing things to do with it to create revenue. So I'm excited to talk to you today. So. Real quick, before we get into your background, uh, I want to do a quick revenue rundown just so you, the listener, has an understanding of where we're at in the journey. So, where are you guys at in terms of your ARR?
1: Yes. So, we are between five and 10 million, and we about 10x over the last two
0: years. Nice. 10x in the last two years. That's good. Uh, What's your primary sales, or I should say not sales, where's your primary revenue go to market strategy?
1: For us, it's all uh, like a combination, like we, we call it outbound, but it's really a combination of like sales and market- marketing so that at the very same time, the 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 peop- the people very same people get our sales messages, see our marketing messages, and then they either re- respond
0: or come inbound. Okay, that. excellent. And do you do that like on the marketing side? Do you do that through LinkedIn, uh, other channels at all to support it? Or is it, what, what's kind of your method with that?
1: Yeah, the the big one is LinkedIn. And I think really that the huge focus here is like we all have this like two second attention span, right? So it needs to be like this 10 times two seconds to actually for a person to remember us. And that's why we're so diligent in making sure that like the, the sales and marketing needs to be orchestrated. Needs to be at the same time to the same people with the same messaging. I think that's the only thing that works. So yeah, it, it's it's the LinkedIn advertising. You can't get rid of well, us there.
0: That's yeah, I love that man. I like I've seen the pictures with uh, Ben Franklin, a little dollar bill, uh, you know, up there. Uh, Trinity, your uh, VP of marketing does an amazing job. And I love the the term pipeline anxiety. I think that's a, a great a great term that that you've coined with that. So love that. And I I would like to recycle that and use that. So uh, on top of it, how large is your team, Christian? So we're now 60 people.
1: Okay. Um, so I that from, uh, I think about 15 beginning of last year towards the end of last
0: okay. year. Excellent. And then are you, you bootstrapped or funded?
1: We've been bootstrapped for a very long time. Happy to chat about this, but uh, we raised a seed round about two years ago. And then a $20 million Series A about a year ago okay. from Kraft and Tiger.
0: Okay, excellent, man. Uh, congrats on that raise. How, so we'd love to hear, and you, you gave kind of a sigh, right? You were bootstrapped for a long time, and then you took on funding before you answered that question. So give us a real quick, I mean, this is a perfect segue, man. Perfect segue. So walk us through your journey of, of why you bootstrapped and then why you eventually took on funding and, and what it's been like along the way. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh-huh. I think I think the question is, how much time do you have? But to, to give you the
0: short version of yeah, this. Yeah, give you the short version. We've got um, tons of stuff to covered today. So.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, so Airbnb always talks about the 1,000 days of pain. I always talk about the 1,500 days of pain that we went through. So in our case, we started the first startup that was in 2014, went through Combinator, but it was a B2C solution. It was actually very different. We were analyzing what you bought online. So still analyzing your data and then comparing it with publicly available information around how much could you resell it. So there was actually a resell solution for people. Turns out people aren't reselling much other than Apple products. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't go anywhere. So that was 2014. And then we didn't raise a lot of money there. And then we pivoted along the way, had a few different solutions for the next few years. Until then in 2018, we actually changed into what user chances is today. And that's where we quickly, we found traction. And then we finally uh, saw, okay, if we actually add more money into this revenue, like the sales and marketing engine, we know that we can uh, really build a large company, like, like get a lot of customers. So we knew now is the time to add fuel.
0: So that's that's an interesting story. And you you were in Y Combinator along the way as well, correct? Yeah, exactly. That was actually right at the beginning. So you're at the point now where you're between 5 and 10 million. You started in 2014. Knowing what you know now, what would you do to cut that time in half?
1: Yeah, that is really, it's such an interesting question. Um, I think the the startup path is always the path between when should I give up and when should I continue working on it? And the really hard thing is because it's actually a little bit the opportunity cost of your life, right? You only, like, the if you're working on this and it doesn't go anywhere, then you actually wasted it and you could have done something else that, that actually delivers better results. So, but on the other hand, if you give up too early, specifically in a B2B environment, then it could actually be that you're just about to hit gold, but you just gave up before it. And... Before I answer your question, like another example there is for us, like we got our first customer. Um, was actually quite a big customer, but then it took still another, I think, four months until we got the second one, and then another two months until we got the third, and then faster and faster and faster, which means that it's, it's, it was also at this time, it's like, okay, maybe we just got one outlier, but, but maybe this product actually isn't going anywhere, but we stuck with it, and suddenly the acceleration hit. So I think the number one learning is how do you figure out as fast as possible whether this is something to hold on to or not. And the only way that I've learned to make this decision is to actually go crazy. And what I mean by this is like, what is the craziest version of this that I could do? Like, it doesn't have to scale. It could be a whole lot of work. It could even be really expensive, but what's the craziest version? And then if the craziest version doesn't work, then you know that you can stop with your non-crazy version of that as well. So we did a whole lot along the way of like when we did the B2C selling, we went to apartments and put a box in front of their door and said, give us the stuff you want to resell and we'll do it for you. And since that doesn't work, like since the craziest version, the easiest possible version didn't work, we said, okay, that's it. We, we, we stopped with that.
0: Okay. So the go crazy methodology, I, I like it. Um, I guess like, is there a framework for thinking though that you use now that wasn't obvious and apparent to you in terms of sniffing out product market fit or just like, hey, this is really, really needed in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think my, my co-founder is always, when it, once again, I use the word crazy, like he's crazy on this. Like when we say, okay, um, so we, we really need this, like customers are asking for it, obviously just, just because a customer is asking for it doesn't mean they're paying for it. So you still need to validate all of this. Um, my marketing professor always said, maybe you're just crazy, figure out whether you're crazy um, by like, putting it into the market. But I think the best methodology is that whenever you say, OK, I want to like someone's asking for this, I'm going to develop this and figure out whether it's interesting. Um, and then you put a timeline on it and you say, OK, we'll do it in the next, let's say, two months. Then my co-founder always asks, OK, could I have this in two days? What do we need to do to have this in two days? What what are we cutting that to have it in two days? And it's it's really really interesting how this question um, it doesn't work every time, but it always always accelerates the rate of development.
0: Uh, I love that man.
1: So I think the framework is, is just asking these questions at every single point, even like, even when you think that's that's a crazy ask.
0: Yeah. I, so you, it's funny you say that, man, because I I did this exercise. Um, I got pre-release access to, to a book, uh, I had an NDA and everything like that. And it really got me thinking. And it was the core concept of it was around, you know, instead of looking at how you could double over the next year, what would you need to do to, to multiply yourself times 10? Right? Like what your business times mm-hmm. 10. And it mm-hmm. does, it forces you to think completely yeah. different because the normal path that you could take isn't an option at that, right? You just, you burn yourself into a, a pulp, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I like the idea of doing it the other way too, It's like, all right, how can I condense that two months into two days? Cause that gives you a totally different perspective. Do you deploy that across all different parts of the business Then not just product, but everything from sales, marketing, leadership, anything like that? Yes.
1: And I think it's, it certainly is also partially annoying, right? Like, because if you do these things, some work out, some don't. Um, and, which means you also have the um, the disappointments along the way, probably more often. But ultimately, you're moving faster than this. Like what I really like there is actually like doing a do coming a little bit from consulting. Where consulting is, you're getting put into this let's say. Hundred million dollar revenue business, and you try to make it ten percent better, versus actually Google. And maybe still now, but certainly like back then had the thought of like, I don't want you to do ten percent. I want you to do ten x, and and so it just changes completely how you think about it. It's like, how do I like it? I all the thought process, all the ways I've done it so far. Um, wouldn't lead me, as you say, wouldn't lead me to 10x. It's like, I'm going to start from the beginning. What if we just asked different questions in like, what, what is actually the course pain point that we're solving? We've, like, everyone else has decided to solve it with A. What if we do B or C? And certainly this applies to this, this should be done by every single department, like especially marketing. I, I, Trini and I, we always talk about like that, there, there these core fundamentals in marketing that you need to do. Like you, you go to conferences, you do X, you do Y, but there needs to be at least 20, 30% of the budget of the activities needs to be something completely crazy because it's especially the crazy initiative that can have these outsized results
0: so and I love that, so what have you done let's say it's marketing specifically, right what have you done that twenty percent that you've gotten <laughs> crazy results with uh that has worked out just insanely well and unexpected
1: yeah, and I think the interesting thing about marketing initiatives is always that you actually don't want to share them okay, <laughs> so I think what what we've done what what still works really well is just the A highly person, like everyone does, highly personalized sales. We've actually done highly personalized advertising. Like, okay, how much can we target? Obviously, the company, but um, we target the company. We put the logo of the company on the ad, and that that by itself, for example, increases the click-through rate um, by 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 tenfold. And that is a whole lot of work if you have five thousand companies that you're targeting. But with the right process, you can actually get that to work. Oh,
0: okay. So it's more process-based. Do you have any automation that makes that a real, reality or no? It's, I think the, the mistake
1: would actually be to think that you need to have a process for it. Um, I, <clears throat> because if you think about the process, then you... You might not even start because it's completely impossible to to start with a process there. But rather, um, this is where the mantra of Y Combinator comes in: like do things that don't scale, and once they work out, you find a process and you find a way to
0: scale. Love that. Okay, yeah, and, and the, the part about the 10x thing, I, you know, I've I've seen that as well, and that's something that I talk about in my mastermind. Um, I deployed that. Basically, what happened was we did it, and I, I come to find out we we had very little resources, no team. And so what happened is I wasn't able to add a lot of people to grow revenue. So I had to find an alternative way to do it. So the, the levers that I pulled were ACV and LTV. And so I found a way to double our our ACV every year, at least. And then on top of it, um, we 100X our, our biggest deal size as well. Through basically taking, you know, kind of the, I don't want to say the 80 20 principle because people kind of roll their eyes when they hear that, but taking the top 20% of companies that do 70, 80% of the revenue and then expanding that to be the majority of the focus. So then what happens is we kept leapfrogging the size of companies that we had and we did it in a manner where we didn't need to change the product or did massive changes. But the awesome thing was that the byproduct of doing that created a better product because the bigger companies kept asking for more features and capabilities that we had to build in there. So then when we went back to market, they're like, oh, this is amazing, no one else is doing this. So it was a pretty cool flywheel that we deployed Mm -hmm. that that worked out really well.
1: Yeah, now that's interesting. It could also be that because no one else is selling to these large organizations because of these additional capabilities, it might actually be easier, in this case, having the conversation.
0: Exactly. So let's, sh- let's shift gears a little bit, man, because I could talk about this all day long and I know uh, you can as well. So and I love the fact about like when when do I need to give up versus when do I need to keep moving forward? And so what I'm curious from your perspective is like, how do you have efficient growth so that you don't run out of money?
1: Yeah, because that, that is certainly that has been the question for us, especially in like the five, first five years of our existence. Um, and I think it, it also it trains you a certain way. And I think the the because we've been pretty much running out of money for the five first five years, we've always like we've always had this efficient growth mindset. And for us, it actually carried us into this time right now where everyone is now thinking about the efficient growth. If you've, if you've started your startup in the last two years and you've seen how easy it is to raise money, then you might have the wrong confidence for fundraising the next round. And certainly that's why I'm always thinking about, like, how can we be as efficient as possible so we can avoid raising the next round? So we don't have to do it. Because I know that it's not easy. Like, this was a false, false truth over the last two years that fundraising is easy. It certainly is. And it was super hard for us the, the first few years. Um, and, and then we talk uh, – we always look at the, the number one thing we look at um, because there are, obviously there are a whole lot of things to look at and then you can always cherry-pick the, the metrics that you like. The one that I really like is actually revenue by employee, per employee. Like, um, this has always been the, the north star for us like, we, because it basically it, it aligns hiring people with revenue growth. So unless you're, you're, high, you're growing at a specific rate – don't grow your team size at a specific rate.
0: Straightforward. That's good, man. It cuts through a lot of the noise because like you're saying, there's a million different metrics you can kind of point to when it comes to that. So like, what's the, what's the benchmark you're striving for when it comes to revenue per employee?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's also interesting how that benchmark probably increased because of the salary increase we've seen among employees. Uh, generally, I, I, I mean, the the smaller you are, the harder this is. Like you should actually... You should actually increase the revenue per employee over time, but for us, the the just the psychological like number was always the hundred thousand. We always wanted to be above the hundred thousand in terms of revenue per per employee. Okay,
0: that makes a lot of sense. All right. So the other thing too is like I guess let me ask you this because I know you have an active sales team and you're you're talking with the market continuously. Right now, we're almost in the end of. January in 2023, I guess, how would you say the market's changed over the last three to four months based on, you know, how they're responding, what they're focused on and what's important to them right now?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've seen such an interesting switch among among the conversations that we are having with our prospects and customers, because the last two years, it's a, Maybe quick background. So what UserChamps does is we track your champions, your power users, your buyers for job changes. And the idea is if they move to a new organization, then you can quickly sell to them because they already use the product. It's typically a very easy sales motion and, and it's like faster, higher ACV. Uh, but there's a, there's a second really interesting aspect, because it's a question, where is this person leaving from? Because if your champion is leaving from a customer account or maybe from an open opportunity, then you actually have an increased churn risk. Um, a champion leaving is the second biggest reason for churn we've seen. And the interesting thing is we've always done both. We've always told you where they're leaving from and not the use CSM team, and we've always told you where they went and notified your your SDR or AET. But all of our conversations over the last two years have always been around revenue generation. The last two years have all been about like I want to make more money, add user champs so we can immediately get like this 10% revenue increase. But over the last three, four months, what has changed is that that pretty much all of our conversations uh, are now focused on actually the churn prevention aspect. We all know how hard it is to sell right now. So the number one thing we want to do is prevent the revenue base we're having. So um, we've seen this huge uptick in tell me who's leaving my customer accounts, and also interestingly tell me who's joining my customer accounts because that's actually another churn risk. If there's a new person coming in who now has the the budget and they've never heard of you, so you want to go in there as quickly as
0: possible. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that. I've been on as a former sales and, and revenue leader. I've been on that both sides of it, right? You're like, oh shoot, John, John or, or Josie's leaving X Y Z company. Like, we gotta adapt and adjust, and that's a huge flight risk. Yeah. And then at the same time, on the other side, it's like, yeah. okay, sweet, John or Josie's now at this company, and they got promoted. So like, let's let's talk to them. Let's and those are the sales cycles that close the fastest, right? Which is why I think your solution is amazing because yeah. it helps. Yeah do that in an efficient manner that's scalable across your entire team, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And what what's interesting also about the, especially the term prevention piece is like this new, this new stakeholder that every one of us probably meets for the first time, which is the CFO. I mean, obviously the CFO was always in the mix, but now there is, there's actually like this, the, um, the person with the thumbs up or thumbs down on on whether the you, you purchase this product or not. and. I can guarantee you that the number one thing that the CFO is looking for right now is um, can I make sure that the, that the revenue, the ARR I have in my budget spreadsheet actually stays that way or how much churn do I need to calculate into this? So in our case, that means the number one priority for the CFO is actually not spending on new tools, but it's actually protecting the revenue the company has. So, and that's why um the conversation shifted into this because the ultimate decision maker, the CFO, this is their number one priority.
0: Hmm. It makes sense. I, I what what sample size is that over? Like when you when you take a look at that, like out of how many sales calls over the last three, four months and you know customer interactions, because I'd be curious on that.
1: Oh yeah. I mean um basically like in, in terms of numbers, it's a hundred percent of our really? conversations where okay. the last conversation is over. Is always like not not simply the churn aspect, but referring to the CFO aspect, okay. like that the CFO is in there. Like we've we've started to um, like include them as a new stakeholder in our sales process because of this. Um, in terms of percentages, where where it's about churn, it, I think previously it was maybe fifteen twenty percent. That number is certainly above fifty percent. Um, it's and in, in many conversations, it's obviously it's both elements. It's it's still I still care about new business, but just the importance of actually having this part of the conversation as well increases steadily. We're certainly over over fifty. Okay. So
0: it's more like half and half now. Would you say it was like seventy five, twenty-five before, maybe, or eighty, twenty somewhere in there? Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. exactly.
0: Now that that's yeah, that's a great right. perspective. Okay. So um I guess and and I know You use AI in your solution. So how are you leveraging AI to help companies reduce churn and also grow their pipeline? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So for us, it's all about identifying what the next best action is. And what we mean by this is specific. So, I mean... It's pretty pretty straightforward. Like if someone changes their job, you want to have the information that they changed. You want to know where they are, and then you're actually expecting, hey, I should be reaching out. And that is totally the case. But what's that? But because there are so many more stakeholders in a sales process now, I think that's also the number one thing we're learning. Right in the in the past, with three, four, five, now we're talking to ten people in a in a decent sized deal, which means we need to include these people. So where we use AI technology is learning who are the people that are most successfully involved in your sales process? So we go into, we look at your opportunities. We look at the communication that you had, like who did you, who uh, who was in meetings, who was part of the opportunities, who were you in touch with to figure out in addition to this one job change of obviously like this champion that you should reach out, who else in the organization should you contact at which stage of the funnel? So a lot of this is actually focused on what actions should I be taking when and with
0: whom? Mm, okay. I love that. And so I'm a big, big, uh, big proponent of timing with a lot of things that I do because uh, we are emotional beings, right? And people have mood swings and different mm-hmm. changes of focus and priority. So, across the, your entire customer base, and looking at this over time, what are the biggest patterns or sweet spots you would see of timing where you need to interact with, with different stakeholders?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once again, like looking at both angles from the churn prevention piece to the new business generation piece, um, and that's where also the the, the logic comes in. Like um, depending on the seniority of the person, there is time. Like if this is a new um, like decision maker, VP or C C suite, then you want to get in touch pretty quickly because the first thing they do is they look into the new organization they just received. Um, Like who are the people that I need? What's the budget that I have? So basically they say, uh, which tools do I need and which tools do I not need in my new organization? So for a new decision maker, we'd recommend within the first week you reach out with just a message of, hey, congratulations. Hey, thanks for, like, be a human, okay? That's always my number one statement. Like, this is a human, they worked with you, They, they, they bought your product in the past, they've they've just had an exciting new event in their life. So as you would with a friend, reach out, congratulate them. As they get situated, you then want to reach out like uh, two weeks later to see, okay, now that you've you've found a little bit, you're you're settling here, uh, could it be interesting in your new organization? That's for the decision maker versus for uh, individual contributors um, where we always recommend like you should have the same relationship. Ultimately, we're talking about champion lifetime value, like you're building relationship with individuals. So in this case, very similar, congratulate them on this life event that they just had, but they first need to get their get situated in the organization, need to figure out like who would run initiatives, who has the cloud. So in this case, very easy, quickly follow up, but then like quickly reach out, but then the follow-up actually comes like a month later and more with the question of like, can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Could this be useful? If so,
0: who should we be talking to? Okay. Excellent. So let's, let's, let's fast forward, right? So let's look a year out, two years out, three years out. Where do you see the future of of sales and marketing tech in terms of, you know, churn prevention and, and revenue growth? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I'm certainly very optimistic that we're out of whatever we're in right now. So I think it, it comes back to a new normal where churn prevention matters a great deal, but also new business generation. But I think what, what I touched on already a little bit in the beginning, how we do it, this strongly orchestrated sales and marketing motion. Like we've, we finally, like all the companies agree, you need to do ABM. You define a list of target accounts and then uh, sales does their own thing with these accounts and marketing goes into different tools, reaches out to different people with different messaging. So that's the first step. But it gets harder and harder to reach people. So what, you, what where we see the future is this ABM motion, but actually not only on the account level, but rather on the contact level. It's about reaching out to the very same people with the very same message at the same time across like all the channels you can. And so when I think about the next phase of, of sales and marketing, it's about orchestrating the individual actions of who is who is an SDR or an AE reaching out. Ultimately, everyone in the revenue team, like we're talking uh, SDR, AE, CSM, um, they need to inc- involve and include different people from the organization. And at the same time, marketing should work with the very same people. So it's much bigger... Um, like, uh, orchestration
0: and, and in your experience, I mean, what do you think are the most obvious, you know, like the, the top five channels that you would focus on from social, like from first to worst, right? Uh, in terms of doing that, I, th- I have some ideas on what I think would be the, the most obvious, but I'm curious on your take.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I think my, I mean, my general answer is certainly one isn't enough. I think that that's the, the most important thing you need like, our attention span. Too short for that. You, like, I'm getting so many messages of like cold outreach, where it's like, what is this company? And you have about two seconds to tell me this. And, and if I don't know the brand, then, then suddenly I'm seeing an ad. So I, I see it a little bit more. And I see three words here, four words in this message. So I mean, the main statement is one channel isn't enough. Uh, but ultimately, it also doesn't mean that like, so many people say cold calling is that. It certainly isn't. It just needs to be part of a strategy. So I think what would works for us are really all the the channels combined. Um, cold outreach works for us if it's smart, if it's um, orchestrated with marketing. But for us, it's um, cold outreach. Like if I if I have to pick two, it's probably cold outreach and LinkedIn advertising.
0: Yeah, well, th- I mean that makes sense, right? So you get the cold outreach which you could do email. And then for LinkedIn, you could do in-mail connection request, retargeting ads, you know, so there's a lot of different ways you could hit multiple different ways on a platform. How about, you know, one thing I didn't think about until we were talking right now is have you figured out a way, and this would be a great question for me to ask Trinity, actually, have you figured out a way to target people within communities as well, outside of answering questions or any kind of like paid ad approach Towards communities, I guess you could sponsor them. But what's your thoughts on that? Because I think that's where I mm-hmm. think communities are starting yeah. to get more niche down as we go. Because folks are tired of the yes. generalized thirty thousand person Slack group. You know what I mean? Yes,
1: yes. No, I fully agree. And I think you sh- you totally should ask <laughs> Trinity about this. It's on her mind. Like I think there's this there's this keyword of dark social, which is like as you say these Slack groups. Um, it's difficult uh, in terms of like. Ultimately, it's very straightforward. You actually need to provide value first in these groups. It's very, very obvious and, and much more hated than anywhere else. If you just come in, scream out your name and then you leave the group again, in a sense. So um, it's its its own channel. It, it needs to be cultivated, but it, it's actually cultivated based on like just provide value and, and the rest will follow.
0: Okay. Love that, man. And so we're just about up on time. I got one more question for you. Obviously, you're doing really well as an organization. You've grown 10X over the last couple of years. What would you say is your single biggest challenge that you're running into right now? I
1: think what was interesting over the last few years was that companies were open to experiment. So they were open to trying new tools. And right now we're seeing more a consolidation Preferably with a really large vendor. So um, what we're seeing is actually that in the the public companies are actually less hard hit than the startups right now because the public companies they have a they have a path towards consolidation versus when you're a startup you're typically really, really really good at one or two things, and that works against companies in the consolidation. So in our sense, it just means we need to like you've always had to highlight how am I so much like how is my product so much better than the incumbent that has done this in in a different way. But I think the big challenge in this year is for startups to even more fine tune, figure out what does, what do organizations care about and then fine tune my pitch in not only how I'm twice as good as the incumbent that you could use in your consolidation, but I'm 10 X as
0: good. Mm, Okay. Love that, man. Well, we have to round things up now because we're up on time. But really appreciate this interview, man. Loved your perspective. I I, I love that we could nerd out on, on some uh, some state of the sales environment. And you guys are doing great work over there. So thank you, man. Where can people find you? Where can they find more about User Gems? And then we'll wrap it up. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: I think the easiest one is LinkedIn, uh, Christian Kletzel on LinkedIn, and then usergems.com i i never know whether my austrian accent pronounces this correctly but yeah christian at usergems.com is is the best way to read
0: awesome man well thank you for being on christian it was a pleasure check them out they have uh what i would say is very entertaining marketing uh an approach that i really enjoy uh and so uh it was pleasure having you on christian we'll see you all in the next episode thank you for checking out the scale up show